This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rasland today, we have uh, the returns of, he is the person I always turn to to tell me things about technology, and so I turn to him quite a lot. He is Matt Armitage. Hi, Cam. Thanks for having me. You have a more official title than that, uh, Matt. What is, your, what is your job title? I don't think I necessarily have one. I mean, I, I run my own company, Culture Pop. I, I guess I'm a futurist in a sense, but I've been told that anyone who calls himself a futurist truly isn't. So it's a bit hard to say. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm a pastist myself. And, um, and we have also the return of, he is a fellow pastist. He is uh, actor, <laughs> uh, advertising guru. He is Vernon Adrian Among. Hi, Cam. Thanks for having me back again. And you do have an official title, Vernon. What is yours? Well, there's one that I've used since uh, the turn of the millennium, which was multimediator, because I kind of mediate between different. I mediate between multiple media. I don't right. know. Okay. Yeah, you work it out. I don't care. Yeah, I just that was really. Up with the... mm. That was really badly yeah. put, uh, Vernon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, our three topics this week are going to be topic number one is the metaverse. Topic number two is arts appreciation, and now everyone can get it. And finally, topic number three is Ringo. Um, Ringo's the best. So, uh, uh, Matt, the metaverse, what, what is it? And should I be afraid? I don't think you necessarily need to be afraid. See, I've already qualified it. Um, but uh, the, the the metaverse, I mean, it's the metaverse doesn't actually exist. It's kind of a, a concept, but it's come into the public eye in a very strong way in 2021 because Facebook, as we all know, has rebranded as meta. And this is partly because of Mark Zuckerberg's stated intention to uh, pursue a, a metaverse direction for the company. What it essentially is, is the kind of the next evolution or the, the next generation of the internet. And it's one that will uh, involve fully immersive virtual realities. It will involve augmented reality, and it will also involve uh, more lo-fi technologies, just audio. So the idea is that uh, within this sphere, what they're calling extended reality, you can seamlessly go from listening to, uh, you know, a digital assistant telling you the directions to, to somewhere, uh, to a, a display being pulled up that's overlaid on, you know, your glasses or your goggles or a contact lens that gives you information about the street in front of you, or something that takes you directly into a fully immersive virtual reality style environment. But as it's something that doesn't actually exist at this point, it's very much a, a, a creation. It's very much a, an idea, a concept. And there are lots of competing models for this and lots of companies who all want to push their, their own agendas and their own version of what this technology might be. So uh, this is the this is like um, Betamax versus VHS. It's uh, it, it's who's going to create the um, the system that people will go for, or is it or is it a, part, a part way of the, seeing the world, the universe? It's all of those things. So it's a place where, for example, uh, our jobs. If we look at if we look at the way we've lived over the last couple of years. Uh, the way that we're recording this now we're using an app to talk to each other we're we're recording this virtually 
But imagine all of these things being placed in one location, um, but being a lot more immersive at the same time. So, for example, rather than having a Netflix, rather than having a Zoom, rather than having all of these different things for educational health or whatever, everything resides inside this platform that's called the metaverse. So you can either negotiate that, that or navigate that metaverse using an avatar in the way that you do with a lot of uh, online platform games now, or you can start to use these more kind of blurring technologies. So for example, uh, I could be watching a, a, a TV show with my mum. If she's wearing augmented reality or virtual reality goggles, I could appear to be sitting on the couch next to her as she's watching the show, and she could be sitting on the couch next to me as I'm watching it. So there are all of these different models within the, the metaverse that allow you to switch between these various layers of, of reality, which is why, as I said, they're, they're terming it this extended reality. But if we go back to what you said about uh, different companies, yes, uh, when we look at the evolution of the traditional internet, it's a mixture of uh, publicly owned and privately owned. So there are a lot of um, open and common protocols within the the internet but that is a, a an inherently uh complex form and an unstable form if you look at the internet it's kind of like a, a layer cake of technology some of the underpinning code goes back almost 50 years so there are there are bits of code embedded in the internet uh, that are written in languages that nobody knows how to uh, to code or deal with anymore. So every time we get an, an app or whatever, it's just added on top. It doesn't replace what's come before. So we end up with this kind of layer cake of wow. technologies. Yeah. So with mm. the metaverse, we have this ability to reprogram the internet from scratch. So of course, you have private companies which have a lot more money to do this than national governments who are coming in and saying, this is my vision of the metaverse, let me build it, and then everyone can come in and act, you know, within my metaverse borders. Okay. Uh, can I, Vernon, can I, please. <laughs> yeah, I just want to ask uh, uh, if this analogy would be correct. Um, currently, we have what is a multicultural environment and uh, Facebook wants to homogenize it so that protocols are all standardized. Is that correct? So like Google, Google uh, Cloud, for instance, is a metaverse into its own. Would you say that? Is that correct? Um, not, not currently, but that's how things could evolve. I mean, Google has its own view of what the metaverse could be. Facebook has its view of what the metaverse could be. So what we're likely to see is that they all develop these competing platforms. But the idea is, similar to, to Facebook, these things only really function if everybody is in the same place. So we have this issue of whose version is going to win out. Um, other players in the game, of course, are the normal ones, Amazon and uh, Microsoft, but also uh, companies like uh, Epic Games, which makes the open world platform Fortnite, which is, you know, the really popular game that uh, a lot of people are playing. And uh, Roblox is uh, another one. It's uh, uh, another online games platform, but for sort of much younger users. Uh, 
which has this kind of environment and this app store that, that people can negotiate within it. So there's a lot of uh, different competing platforms with different ideas of what the metaverse is and what it could be. Uh, of course, Facebook has the advantage of owning uh, the virtual reality company Oculus. So it has a, a bit of a head start over some of its rivals because it already has these virtual reality uh, hardware manufacturers and uh, software developers within the the broader company that is now Meta. Uh, but but uh, well, speaking of um, Facebook, I mean Facebook. The problem with Facebook for for Facebook for Mark Zuckerberg is that it's uh, it's it's big, but it's only being populated by old people. Um, young people are not joining it. So is this a way for him to salvage his his um, money stream? And just sort of cook up a, a, f a fancy name for, for, like, for the kids. Absolutely. I mean, that's actually been one of the, um, one of the questions that he's kind of faced repeatedly uh, since he came out and made these announcements. Uh, and definitely it does look like that. It's a way of distancing younger consumers from that uh, Facebook platform. But it's also why uh, the offerings of companies like Epic Games and Roblox despite the fact that we may not recognize them as strongly, are actually very well positioned to create that metaverse because that's where the younger audience is already congregating. They're already using those platforms. So that could well give them uh, quite a competitive advantage in creating this metaverse because they don't have those generational obstacles to yeah. overcome that that facebook faces well well matt we, ha we have to move on but very briefly though could you could you tell me what i should think about this because you've said a whole bunch of things i don't really get um so uh, should i should i be uh, you know pitchforks uh, attacking somebody or should i go yeah this is cool i i, st I turn to you matt tell me no, I think what it comes down to is whether we go for a model that is owned by commercial entities or if we go for models that are, are publicly owned. So if we try and replicate what we currently have with the Internet, where the gatekeepers are, are distributed, if we go with a, a singular entity like Facebook controlling the metaverse, then that gives the company enormous power because in order to get to your job, in order to get to the place of education, to, to meet your friends, to do things socially, even to have access to your money, you then have to go through that company as a gatekeeper. And that gatekeeper may be following its own uh, rules and whatever in denying you access to those things you need in order to live. Okay, so boo to the metaverse. I think I think that's the lesson we've learned. Um, oh, no, yay to the metaverse. <laughs> oh, okay. Boo to corporate metaverse. All right. Well, as long as it means I only have to remember one password. Um, so uh, move on, though, to topic number two, uh, Vernon, uh, arts appreciation right. and the internet. Yes, uh, it was because, um, you know, I'd watched the, uh, that, that new film. Well, it's not so new now, June, right? And I'd never read the books. Um, but I really loved the movie because it was just stunning visually. Um, I couldn't really get into it. And so I went onto the internet and found so much of stuff, um, you know, generated by various uh, geeks and, and experts and gurus in their fields related to Dune. And I learned so much just reading about it. And so therefore, I became even more enamored by the movie. And consequently, in recent times, it was West Side Story. 
um, I knew the 1961 production and I uh, was looking forward to seeing the new remake by Steven Spielberg. And just before I went to see the movie, I decided I'm going to kind of jump the gun, spoilers or whatever. I'm just going to watch what had been put up by, by the uh, geeks and the uh, experts. And it actually made me once again enjoy the movie a lot better. And it made me think about how art appreciation um, is now such and has easy access because um, of, of, you know, places like YouTube and, and various other people putting up stuff that helps you appreciate what was once inaccessible, you know, expressive uh, projects. So now you begin to understand it a lot better and uh, how might it be affecting us um, as a modern society? Yep. Hmm. So what do you think? Yeah, Matt, are you cool with this? You are, aren't you? No, I I am. I mean, I've, I've never been someone who's uh, scared of spoilers. Um, anyone, you know, anyone who says on my uh, social media, I will unfriend you if there are spoilers about blah, blah, blah. I don't understand that at all because... It's, as Bernard said, it's the, you know, the, the old way was to very often you'd talk about uh, an artwork, an exhibition with somebody who'd gone and experienced it, you know, and then you'd go and armed with that knowledge, you'd experience it as well. You'd take their comments on board and it does help you to to see things in a different way because you've got their perspective on things so i really enjoyed this and i'm so many times after i've watched a, a film or i've watched a show i go on to google and i'm like explain the ending of that show if i haven't quite got it because you know i don't always get the the, the cultural references especially if it's like you know a marvel movie or whatever because i'm not deeply versed in the in the comics and the the little easter eggs that that get put into things so i think this is really useful and i enjoy the same as Vernon, going and checking things out first. So I'm kind of armed when I go into the theatre to watch something. Yeah, I, I think I think it's great. Vernon, you have an inquisitive mind, so you elect to dive into the internet to find out this information. I, I wonder... No, not really. No, no, well, no, not really. There have been some movies, okay, like when the, uh, when the award winners come out, I go through the list and I see what's available, and I go and check it out, and sometimes I dive in without knowing anything about the movie. And one of those movies that I happened to dive into was uh, A Promising promising Young Woman. Okay, uh -huh. I didn't know what the movie was about, where it was going, who wrote it, whatever. I watched it. I was completely enthralled by the movie. And I thought, wow, this is a great movie. And then I dived in to find out. So it works both ways for me, yeah. um, uh, either before or after. Yeah. But well, for me, when I was growing up uh, back in the day, uh, right. There were gatekeepers, there were curators, there were TV newspapers, and they would, uh, th through them there would be built up a consensus of what are the the great kind of cultural totems. I mean, everybody would be saying, Citizen Great Kane is the greatest movie of all time. So, okay. I mean, I, I take it on board, I watch it, and it's like it is. If... Um, but 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 now there's, there, there, is, there isn't that uh, curation, and uh, you elect, you choose, and so... I, it'll be dropping away the notion that the people just will stop watching Citizen Kane. There will be no greatest movie of all time. No, I think no, I think a lot more people would watch it after having read those articles. You know, like if, for instance, let's say on your Facebook account, um, you want to refer to a particular, um, you know, you you reference a movie or a book. I am um, sure there will be some people who will actually 
people like me especially who will highlight the title or the work and do a quick google to see what you really mean when you yeah. reference it yeah, but yeah and that'll not, lead me to yeah we're not the kids i mean i don't know do you think the kids <laughs> <laughs> kids these days like like for instance uh imdb they have the ratings um i mean if if a movie is seven point whatever it's like okay i'll check that out but if it's like 6.5 or below i'm not gonna watch it really i yeah. I, I kind of what if your friends say what uh, if your friends say that they really enjoyed it even though yeah. it was a 5.6 then you would, right i will check it out if if it's a, an actual human being an actual human person uh who i know says uh, then i will yes yeah i i tend to find that any movie that has a really high rating or a really low rating at, at those extremes i tend not to enjoy very much i tend to enjoy the ones that have the ratings within that kind of five to to seven so maybe that just means my tastes are a, a little bit niche or off compared to um, or, or maybe it's people. sorry or maybe it's because uh when it's high your expectations are really high and therefore when you actually see it it doesn't meet your expectations could it that, could that, that be could be true as yeah. well yes yeah but i i i still worry about the contextless uh world a cultural world I, I see what you mean vernon you can jump in and you can discover things but but there's no guide i mean there's no person no 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 app even that's guiding you through it and saying let's let's through walk through this this hall to leonardo da vinci that's that's one of the greats um and and i i, I kind of think that you know we sort of well i think i, I like having that i think therein lies therein lies the uh, the uh, answer to everything you've ever felt needed answered which is you need to have a wide range of you need to listen to a wide range of voices in order to help you you know go through this maze that is reality um so i mean like i think it's 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 worthwhile um to check it out if your friends say it's a really bad movie right and the imdb says it's a good movie right then perhaps maybe one of the things one should do is try to figure out what's happening here change rather friends than just yeah. <laughs> rather than just accept what is being thrown at you but yeah no you I, to I don't i don't own. take imdb as 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 a curator i think that it's uh i mean like the marvel comic movies are like 7.9 and you that's know, because they're, they're great you, <laughs> you just say these things. Is so the annoying. teenager amongst us? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if Citizen Kane, if uh, if the characters could have gone green and swelled up to three times their size, such <laughs> a better movie. Well, Citizen Kane recently apparently got uh, knocked off the top of the IMDb greatest movie of all time list by Paddington Two. Ah, huh? There you that. go. <laughs> that that is taste at work for you. Uh, okay, so um, let's 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 just um, come to a conclusion for 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 me for my my sake. So um, the internet is good for art appreciation. Yes. Yes, it helps. Absolutely. It facilitates. It facilitates uh, a deeper understanding of the universe. All right. You know, if, you, if you can Google, you'll be saved. Okay, except then the bad, the downside is I'll be watching the movie and I'll check out IMDb whilst I'm watching it, and then five Let's minutes later I spend IMDb more time on the internet than I have been watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, it can be a rabbit, Warren. Yeah, 
Yeah. Of sorts, yeah. Okay, well, in a moment, though, we are going to go to uh, something which is certifiably, well, not necessarily at the top of the IMDb list, but at the top of most lists of anything that measure greatness. We're going to be talking about the Beatles and uh, Ringo Starr in particular here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Rustler, Vernon Adrian Amon, and Matt Armitage. And now uh, the Beatles and Ringo Starr. Um, I, uh, I'm a huge Beatles fan, and Beatles are, for me, perfection. Uh, you too. Are you <laughs> Beatles fans, by any chance? I, I like won't the singles. Sorry, Matt, I, you like singles? Yeah, I like the singles collections. I'm not big on the albums. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just, you just, try, you, you know how to press my buttons, don't you? Uh, <laughs> so, um, well, uh, recently uh, on Disney Plus, uh, Peter Jackson's enormous documentary, Get Back, about the recording of the uh, Let It Be album, which is culled from 50 or so hours of film and 120 hours of uh, sound tape. Uh, which were all shot back in 1969, and he has redone it into an eight-hour documentary, three three parts, altogether eight hours. As as a lifelong Beatles fan, it's uh, alongside actually listening to the actual music. This is the greatest Beatles moment in my life, and um, it it shows the four of them uh, working together and slowly piecing together songs in front of our very eyes. And uh, John Paul George and Ringo. Uh, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, famous great songwriters, and we have the rise of uh, George Harrison. Actually, on Spotify, the the most listened to Beatles song is um, "Here Comes the Sun," which is uh, a George Harrison song, and it's uh, listened to double the amount by compared to the second song, which is "Let It Be" by Paul McCartney. So, uh, and then in the background is Ringo Starr, the drummer. He says very little in the making of the album but he is he's the absolute star because without Ringo Starr without the humility the modesty and the technical excellence of that man none of this would happen because he sits there he listens to his colleagues he watches his colleagues and then as they're playing he just he just joins in and he supplies the perfect drum line because he had this enormous breadth of knowledge. He knows how to do a rumba, cha-cha-cha. Um, he knows how to do rock. He's creating heavy metal at times. He, um, and I'm, I was watching it, I was thinking, if, if in your organization, if in your life, you are fortunate enough to have a Ringo star, then you have a chance. And if you are fortunate enough to be a Ringo star, then you will work forever. Um, and I think that he's a much maligned character. People are often saying that he's, uh, he's a terrible drummer, he's a lucky man just to meet up with the Beatles and be tagged along. But no, no, no. Without him sitting there uh, patiently, diligently allowing his colleagues to create and then just supplying perfection, it would never have happened. And I, and I, I say hats off to Ringo Starr. He's my, he's my star. Uh, I don't know. Do, are, I mean, do any of us know Ringo stars? Are we a Ringo star? Do you do you believe? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I well, do. in the in the cartoon series, Ringo was the most fun character that, <laughs> that I remember from my childhood. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Over to you. No, no. I, I mean, where where do you think this myth comes from that uh, that Ringo isn't a talented drummer? 
remember someone saying, I, th I think it was about the recording of the um, the Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas? And I think Ringo had uh, given a, you know, just a, a few drum fills and someone commented and said, and you can tell it's Ringo because it's um, slightly out of time. And I just thought, what a horrendously dismissive way to describe him because where has that where has that myth come from mm. that mythology that he is not a good drummer mm. I, I think it's because of his name Ringo <laughs> I think that created this aura around him I mean he wasn't he wasn't Paul he wasn't uh who were the others i can't remember now oh vernon <laughs> oh i God. can't <laughs> george harrison and who's that other bloke <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't named after a saint or a, yeah. or a disciple you mean uh yeah no well, richard's his actual name but yeah ringo i suppose yeah it's it's a comical name in a way and he was uh he was uh a comic character i mean you said it yourself uh, vernon he's like the yeah. fun one isn't he but but I think that it is an injustice because he um, he had immense talent. But he yeah, where did that come from? I I think because he was prepared to sit in the background. And when they first arrived in the United States, he was like everybody's favorite Beatle. Uh, um, but yeah, he was. See, uh, for instance, um, Keith Moon of the Who is often cited as being the greatest drummer, and. He uh, famously, you know, would throw television sets out of hotel rooms. He, he was a larger-than-life character, and he had an enormous drum set. And the story went that they, they gave him so many drums so that there was always something that he could hit. Yeah. And, and he was great at these uh, huge songs that The Who did, the, the, the singles that we're all famous with, f f familiar with. But you listen to a Who album, it's terrible. The Who albums are terrible because uh, their drummer couldn't do anything else apart from just these enormous songs. He couldn't do a quiet, he couldn't do a let it be. He couldn't play the drums in the back of, he would, he would kill it. And I think that one of the greatest things that Ringo Starr ever did was when he first heard uh, Paul McCartney come in and play yesterday, Ringo Starr said, I can't put drums on that. It should be just an acoustic guitar. Wow, so he decided to take a step back knowing yeah. that if he did anything, it would just yeah. make it not as good. Well, yeah, that's big. That's big. It is, and and that does that does make a lot of sense. I mean, another one of the um, uh, the, the the great drummers. I mean, he he died, I think, last year. Um, the Nigerian drummer Tony Allen. He uh, he played for Felakuti. You know, he was um, uh, huge in the kind of. Um, Afrobeat scene in the in Africa in the 70s, but he's had a, a massive influence on certainly on UK music uh, through uh, reggae and new wave and dub throughout the 70s and 80s through till his death in 2020. But his playing style is very quiet. I mean, he, you know, he plays the hi hats with the the old kind of jazz brushes, but he's his style is very complicated and and um, syncopated. Yes, so it's very complicated and syncopated, um, but it's very quiet. But you never lose sight or lose the sound of his drumming within a record. You don't need to be bombastic all of the time. It's actually, as you said, it's knowing how to retreat from the music and to give the music space that says that you are a great drummer. And I think Ringo has that ability as well. The Ringo style that I've described, whether you agree that it's true or not, but let's, let's just assume it is. Um, 
uh, do we have it within ourselves to be a Ringo? <laughs> in 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 a in the creative process, seriously, when when other people when we're working uh, collaboratively, can we be that modest character? I'd like to think I I can and would and have been. I hope, but I could be proven wrong. Wow, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I I think the the biggest problem is putting up with people when they're being awful. You know, it's one thing to be modest and to let the ideas kind of coalesce around you but to put up with people in a room who are shouting at each other and being awful and having all of these conflicts i think that's what i would find the most difficult and i think that's something that ringo negotiated very well hmm. within the beatles to to you know to to mitigate and peacemake um but also just to be that constant presence that doesn't necessarily get drawn into all the petty battles yeah is that what was going on with the beatles uh, yeah to a degree Yes, to a degree. Uh, it's a little overstated, perhaps, in the mythology, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think conflict more in the sense that, you know, Harrison was sidelined as the mm. songwriter and, uh, and McCartney acknowledges that that, that happened. And obviously, uh, John wanting to find some other vehicle um, to, to, to showcase his, his own talents. Um, and of course, McCartney just annoying them by being so talented that he yeah. can just create songs out of thin air. Yeah, it's right. it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, Paul McCartney is this musical titan, and I think it must be very easy to be modest when you're working with George Harrison, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And maybe that's the reason why he was given the character of the funny guy in the cartoons, because maybe he was really, really um, making, making yeah, the glue yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he he famously came up with the the catchphrases like um, eight days a week and hard days night. He had these um, sayings that, that, that caught people's ear. But anyway, so that uh, that folks is uh, Ringo Starr, the greatest drummer of all time for the greatest band, uh, Perfection, ten out of ten on all scales. Um, actually, you can turn them to eleven. And uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now we know we come to uh, the final part of the show, recommendations. We recommend something that I think might be of interest. And Matt goes first. I'm going to recommend a, a book that I hope explains the uh, the metaverse that I was talking about, at least in a, mm. a little way. This is uh, The Every by... Uh, oh, my God, and I've completely forgotten who it's by. The Every by uh, Dave Eggers. It's actually a follow-up to his book, The Circle, from a, a few years ago, which was turned into a film with Emma Watson and uh, Tom Hanks. And it is about a company that becomes all-powerful, a technology company that becomes all-powerful, that pushes uh, a radical agenda of transparency and uh, puts its cameras absolutely everywhere, even in forests, so that wherever you go, you're seen and you're visible and your data is logged and tracked. And it's just about how a company of that scale can subvert governments simply by building the platforms that the governments run on so that the agenda automatically becomes the agenda of the company. So you don't have to uh, you don't have to make politicians corrupt. They don't need to be in your pocket. You simply own all of the streams of information that feed into the, the government. So every decision they make is something that's based on information you provide. So uh, it's a it's a better book than The Circle. It's one of those rare uh, cases where the sequel is better than the uh, original. So that's The Every by Dave Eggers. Oh, wonderful. Wow, that sounds good. 
Okay. Um, uh, Vernon, uh, what's your recommendation? Okay, well, I'm going to do something that's probably uh, expected. Uh, West Side Story, Spielberg's and Tony Kushner's West Side Story. Um, I am a fan of the 1961 production, and um, I was looking forward to see what Steven Spielberg would do. I'm a fan of Steven Spielberg. And, of course, Tony Kushner, who's written some great plays. And uh, what happened was I saw it, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. So I want everybody to go and see it. Um, because uh, it needs our support to let people know that, uh, you know, remakes of this nature should be supported because uh, very interestingly, a lot of the issues or some of the issues, some of the more important issues have been given a nice reimagination. Um, uh, Rita Moreno, who won an Oscar in the, uh, in the original, is back, but as a different character. And the, the actor who plays her, is I think going to win an Oscar like what Rita did in the original because uh, she was excellent. So please go and see West Side Story showing now in cinemas near you. That's my recommendation. Because it's your recommendation, I definitely will. But can I just ask, um, you said it <laughs> written by Tony Kushner. Tony I mean, Kushner, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the songs are already written. They're done. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't change. Apparently, the music and all that is much the same. Uh, and even the choreography they've tried to keep quite close to, right? Um, but the storyline have little, uh, little twists and turns here and there, um, which work really well. And Tony Kushner does a, did a really good job. I, 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 just, I just think that they did such a homage, a well-done homage to the previous, uh, yet still feeling timeless and, yeah, quite, quite, quite delightful. Hmm, okay. So please catch it. I, I wonder if young people will go and watch... West Side Story. Do you think? Yeah, I'm not so sure too, but uh, they should. They really <laughs> should. Yeah. yeah. And then go back and you know go onto the internet and check out the old one and all that's been written about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Uh, oh yeah. My... yeah. And, and also, I want to say something. One thing that I discovered was that Stephen Sondheim was 25 years old when he wrote the lyrics to this musical, and I just can't believe that. Because the lyrics are stunning. In yeah. case you missed that, uh, sorry, Vernon just said that uh, Stephen Sondheim was 25 years old when he wrote the lyrics to... Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's far too young. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, actually, my recommendation is going to touch upon the same kind of thing. My recommendation is, well, it's like kind of like twofold, but I want to mention something at the end. But uh, first recommendation is, uh, well, it's the documentary Get Back because it's incredible. And it's eight hours of the Beatles, and I don't have to say any more. But uh, one thing, t touching upon what Vernon said just now, when they were making those songs, when they were writing things like Let It Be and something, like, so for instance, George Harrison was 25 years old. When Paul McCartney's at the piano writing Let It Be, he's 26 years old. When the Beatles split up just not long after, none of them were over the age of 30. Uh, Ringo Starr was the oldest, and he was 29. And, um, yeah, really young. I mean, oh, God. But anyway, it's brilliant. And if you're a Beatles fan, you you have to watch it. And if you're not a Beatles fan, I, I kind of be intrigued to know what you would make of it, quite frankly. Uh, but it, it it's it's the greatest thing that's happened to me in years. So, uh, okay, I'm going to catch it then. Well, well, good luck. I mean, I'd like to know, Vernon, because uh, you're not a huge fan. I, I, I wonder what you'd make of it. And uh, 
Matt, would you watch it? I have been intending to watch it. Um, and I love Peter Jackson's work as well. Uh, it's just I would like to introduce him to the term edit. Um, <laughs> eight, eight hours is a little bit long in the same way that the Lord of the Rings uh, versions got longer and longer. Uh, I, I think I'd prefer it with a bit more brevity, but I am going to dive in. I think what he was thinking was that it was just a, as a historical document that he could have cut a really uh, a two, two and a half hour, say, uh, edit. But then all that footage that he'd found would have just been put away in the archives again and never seen. And so he just wanted to create this document, eight hours that people could dip into for years to come. And they would then know, oh, it's all there. <laughs> Nothing missing. Absolutely. But I think I'd prefer to have that two and a half hour cut and then to be able to go into that eight hour in the same way that you get the cinema cut of Lord of the Rings. And then you can then decide to watch the 16 hour versions that he's kind of subsequently released. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so uh, one thing I want to mention uh, at the end of this is, uh, and if you are listen, if you are listening to to this uh, edition of uh, episode of Viticulture on Friday, then you would have heard before this show that uh, BFM broadcasting a tribute to Ross Yusuf, um, who was the voice of football on uh, BFM and many sports throughout Malaysia, actually, and he died very suddenly last week, and he was a, a friend of mine and. Uh, a great guy and so I just want to say you know Ross Yusuf uh, really one of the a fantastic broadcaster a consummate broadcaster a real pro some a guy I learned so much from and uh, he will be sorely missed so uh, on that sad note uh, only remains me now to thank uh, our special guests uh, Vernon Adrian Amon thanks Cam and Matt Armitage Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you both. And uh, myself, Cam Russell. And so please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.